Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hi, James. Hey, Scott. Back for another week. Back for another week. Yeah. And we have another listener question. Oh, my gosh. These are the best. I I love listener questions. Please send in your questions. Um, Might actually have a new format for you guys next year we're thinking about. So hopefully we will do that. Um, In the meantime, if you like listening to the show, please leave a review on iTunes um, so other people can find us. And everywhere else, but most people listen to iTunes. Yeah, you're right. Okay, if you want to be a rock star, go leave it at every single place. That would be amazing. Yeah. Then we will prioritize your question. We would just appreciate one. um, Because, we, you know, we do this to help you guys. And the more people we can help, the better. So thank you. Um, All right, do you want to read the question today or should I? I'll, well, I read last time, so I'm on a roll. I'll read it again. Okay. Listener question says, since interest rates are so low and the bond market is so much bigger than the equity market, what are a good mix of bonds for a portfolio with a lot of bonds? Should it only be high quality corporate or should it be some tips, CMOs, or anything else? There are a lot of options for bonds. Yeah. End question. That's a big market. They're right. It is a big market, which yes. is, is fascinating to look at. Uh, but what it comes down to is how do you how do you navigate that market? Like, yeah. if you're investing in bonds, which is the first question, and, and to what extent should you be based on your goals and, and what you're invested in? What types of bonds should you be invested in? Yeah. So why don't we just take this um, from a really big picture first, and then hopefully we can help our the listener find their own way. Um, why don't we just start with um, what is a bond? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should use an example. Yeah. What yeah. would be a good example? Uh, I, well, a, an example. We'll relate it to like a real life yeah. so, scenario. So in a, bo- a bond, obviously we're loaning money to someone. And I think the easiest thing that we can think of that we can easily relate to in our own lives is um, having a mortgage on a house. Okay. Yeah. So if I have a mortgage, am I the bond holder or am I the on the other side of that? equation you'd be on the other side okay yeah so the the bank owns the bond mm-hmm. right or the mortgage in that instance right and they've loaned money to you and you have to pay them back yeah right um now there's small differences in this right because a mortgage is technically amortized meaning you pay it back over the life a traditional bond um like if so imagine that so if you sir come to me and you want to get your a loan um I'm going to first check your credit, mm. right? It's probably like, a good thing for you to know. Are you, are you worth loaning money to? And I clearly wouldn't loan you any money. Um, I'm just kidding. I probably, <laughs> um, but what I'm, I want a fair rate for that, right? Right. And so what we'll look at is we'll look at, okay, well, what's the risk-free rate right now? That'll just be whatever the federal government can loan money at is one of the things we'll go look at there. And then we'll go look at, okay, well, well, James, you know, we'll, you you can get a 10 year note right now at like 0.9%. So I'm going to charge you 3% more. So I'm going to charge you 3.9% for for your credit worthiness. 
for you to for me to loan you money. So now you have to give me three point nine percent back on my every ten grand you give me. You have to give me send me that three hundred ninety bucks. Um, and then at the end of the term, you have to give me all that that ten grand back too, right? Yep. So that that's really what a bond market is, right? Um, that's how it works. So that's that's credit. But the other component is, and it, same thing with a mortgage. You'll hear people get a mortgage. You ask, well, what your what mortgage did you get? Did you get a thirty year? Did you get a fifteen year? Twenty year? And there's other different types, right? But those years are just the term of that loan. How long is that loan? Right. The longer the loan, typically the more interest we want to see coming back to us as the lender. Right. And I think that's that's such a good example because the two there's there's more than two, but two of the primary ways that bond interest rates are going to be determined is based upon credit, which mm-hmm. is what you just discussed. What's the likelihood of you getting paid your money back in the term? How long are you loaning that money for? Yeah. If I'm loaning Scott money for a week, I'm going to expect a whole lot different interest rate than if I'm loaning Scott money for, for 20 years. That money's tied up longer. There's more of an opportunity cost to me. There's more of a risk that something happens to that money over 20 years. So I'm going to want a higher interest rate. So as people are asking, what's a good mix of bonds? Well, at the end of the day, all bonds are the same in the sense that you are lending your money to some entity, whether it's a government or a corporation. The difference is going to come down to the term of that bond and the credit worthiness of the borrower, along with a few other factors. But I think that's a good starting point to understand just the fundamentals of what a bond is. Yeah, absolutely. The moment you leave the United States and you go start lending money overseas, then you run into a, a currency risk as well. That can be hedged away with um, some currency trades, typically done by maybe someone who owns trading a mutual fund or something like that for you on your behalf for for uh, for bonds. But I think this is a good place to start. So, but yeah, absolutely. So, so term is the biggest thing. Credit quality is the next biggest thing. There are other things that we're not going to go into, um, like covenants and, and things like that. But that's just kind of like too deep for this conversation today. But why don't we talk about um, the who's the safest credit that there is first? You're talking about me? Yeah, you. You're lending money to me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll you're not the safest credit. No, <laughs> the U.S. government is is going to be thought of as the safest credit there is. Not just thought of it is the safest credit there is. Right, and the reason for that is when the U.S. government borrows money, if they want to pay you back, it, it, there's no problem doing so. They literally just hit a button and they create more money. Yes, they yeah. move a decimal point from one bank account to another, and it's it, money is created, which is a totally different conversation for a different day about fiat money and all that fun stuff. But just know that the Basically, the U.S. government can lend out as much as it wants and pay out as much as it wants. They just have the ability to do that. So they get what we call a triple A credit rating. If you look at their their credit quality, they are the best of the best. Yes. Yeah. So if it, and what comes with that is you're going to get your money back. So you're not going to get the highest interest rate with that. You know, if, if there's if there's a 100% chance that you get your money back, and let's say that you're loaning to the government for 30 days or a year, you know, very short-term loan you're not taking much risk in terms of the length of that loan. No. You're not going to get a very high interest rate with that. Right. If you want a higher interest rate, you need to either start lending to the U.S. government for longer periods of time, so longer term, or you need to start looking at other entities to loan to if you want a different rate. Yeah, and let's just stay with the U.S. government for one second because the U.S. government, imagine like you can loan lend money to them. You, you can give them a loan for 30 days, 90 days, a year five years, 10 years, 30 years, and you'll get different rates along that way. Now, imagine at any point in time, I just say, hey, give me the rates 
for all those different periods of time for the U.S. government. Well, that creates what we call a bond curve, which basically looks at like how much more yield do I get if I lend money longer to the government, right? And that's how we can see kind of like what's what's going on in the bond markets by looking at bond curves. Right. The next thing you can do is you can shift up the curve by going up in credit quality. So instead of loaning to the U.S. government, I might go loan money to um, a corporation or to um, local government or something like that. And then the credit quality is going to change. So the interest rate should change for the same period of time. So if I want to loan money for one year to the U.S. government, I'm probably going to get less back in interest than if I go loan, make a one-year loan to a corporation right. that's considered high quality. Yeah. And then with corporations, you people hear the term uh, high-yield bond. Well, what does high-yield bond mean? It means you're lending your money to a corporation uh, in most cases, many cases, that there's a likelihood that that money might not come back to you. Yeah. High yield is a very nice way of saying junk bond. Junk bond is the is another term for that. Yeah. What a junk bond is, is if you want more yield, if you want more interest, you can do so. But a company, say like Coca-Cola or Walmart or McDonald's, a big established company, that their, their credit worthiness is pretty high. They're going to be paying you your money back most likely. They don't have to pay you that interest in order to attract dollars when they're trying to raise money through bond. Well, if you have a company that's not, got the same credit worthiness, the, re- the way that they attract those dollars, those bond dollars, is they have to uh, offer a more attractive yield. And those more attractive yields are higher. So that's where the high yield comes in. But the risk to that is you may not get your money back if the economy goes south or if there's a major recession and some of those companies go out of business. Because if they go out of business, there might not be that money to pay you back. Right. So higher risk of default. So like, exactly. just for a minute, though, go back to the mortgage idea, right? Imagine that like, James is going to go get his mortgage and he has the best credit quality and he makes $100,000 a year salaried employee. And they just think, you know, he's hitting all the marks. He he wins basically. And then let's imagine he has his like uh, his twin who just started his own business, can't prove any credit quality. Maybe he still has great credit, but has no income. Mm-hmm. Well, like of the two, you're the same person, essentially you're twins, but like one of you, I'm going to ha- give a better rate than the other. Right. Because one of you is more credit worthy than the other. Right, right. right? And, and that's exactly how the bond market works. As you see different interest rates, as you see, uh, you know, going back to the question with the bond market so big and it is so big, there's all these different details to look at. This is what all those details come down to in large part is what's the credit worthiness of who you're lending money to and what's the term that you're lending money for. And there's things like currency, like you mentioned, some other details as well. But this in large part explains the differences between the different types of bonds that you can invest in. Yep. So um, the only other thing I want to add is like, as you, you'll, you'll think for a second, you'll be like, okay, if I want more, if I want more interest, I just need to loan my money out longer. And that's true. But the biggest issue that you're always combating against in the bond market, it, when you have what we call nominal bonds, or you're just going to get that lock in that interest rate or that mortgage payment for the next 30 years is we deal with what's called inflation risk. So mm-hmm. we're just dealing like, if I'm gonna get if if James if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna loan if if I'm gonna loan money to James and he's gonna let's just pretend he's gonna give me um, uh, five hundred dollars back every six every year so two hundred fifty bucks back every six months on ten thousand dollars well this year that's worth something if we do a twenty year loan though that two hundred fifty dollars isn't really worth a whole lot twenty years from now because right. of inflation right, right? like. Just remember what a gallon of milk costs or what going to the movies cost 20 years ago versus what it costs now, right? So right. inflation creeps in and it's something you have to watch out for. 
So there are different types of bonds you can utilize, one of which is called a treasury inflation protected security. And what that'll do is it'll actually float to inflation. Just know that I'm going to get, we're going to getting like too technical, honestly, but just know there's lots of different types of bonds you can play with. Yeah, t- totally. And and so when it comes down to it, with all these different types of bonds, we now know the basics of how our bonds priced and how how our different yields determined. Where do I start when I'm trying to figure out what's right for me? Like what bonds play what roles and what scenarios? And going back to the listener question, where do we start with all this now that we know what a bond is? Yeah. So so and his answer was, you know, should it all be in high quality corporates or some? treasury inflation protected securities and collateralized mortgage obligations or anything else, there's a lot of options. And he's, he's right. There are a lot of options. But the the key is for what's right for you. It's the answer that we often always give. It depends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, we need. Yeah, man, I wish we could just predict perfectly. <clears throat> That'd it be great, right? But let's walk through it. It depends. So what does it depend upon? There's a couple roles that bonds play in a portfolio. What would you say is the biggest role of a bond? Well, let's just give an example of someone who's um, retiring and like the traditional, you know, if you hear someone's retiring, you might almost always think of a traditional 60-40 portfolio. So 60% is going to be in the stock market, 40% is going to be in the bond market. Yep. Um, What's the point of that 40%? Well, it's certainly not to be the growth engine. The point of that sixty or that forty percent is that the stock market every so often it has a big decline, mm-hmm. twenty five, thirty, thirty five plus percent. And if you are now living on that money, I mean, this isn't money that you're saving to and investing in, but rather you're pulling out of that portfolio. The last thing you want to do as an investor is sell your great investments when they're down in value, yeah, twenty, thirty plus percent. So what a bond portfolio or the bond portion of your portfolio does is ideally that's the portion of your portfolio that stays stable and even goes up in value when your stocks are declining. So if I'm taking out 4% of my portfolio, so with a million dollar portfolio, if I'm taking out 40,000 per year and the stock market just fell 30%, I'm probably not going to take that 40,000 from the stock portion of my portfolio. I'm going to be looking at the bond portion of my portfolio to say, can I take funds from here? Because that's probably the part that stayed stable and maybe even went up in value for me when everything else was going down. Mm-hmm. Yep, fully agree with that. So so I think a, a way to think of that is like um, on a ship, if you've ever been on a cruise ship or if you've ever been on a smaller ship, almost all ships have a ballast tank in it. And the whole point of that is to make it cut through the water um, a bit smoother than if it didn't have a ballast tank. And that's really the point of bonds for a lot of people in portfolios. It's designed to help you smooth out the ride, right? So as James was just saying, if 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 everything's going great and I'm taking my 40 grand a year out of my million dollar portfolio and it just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing, well, that's great. And we already, haven't even talked about safe withdrawal rates. We should do that in a future episode, um, why the 4% rule even came about. Um, but if we just think of that for a minute, when that when it tanks, um, we don't want to take from the stocks in that moment, right? If anything, you actually want to go invest in stocks in that moment. That's like Nordstrom having the half annual sale. It's like it's time to go buy stuff, right? But we need money to buy stuff. So that ba- that those the ballast, those funds, the bond funds act in two ways. They they become a source of funds in downturns. We're not going to take out of the stocks to let them grow back, and they can also be a source of liquidity for us to not only take funds out, but also go invest back into the stock market to keep our allocation uh, at the place that we want. Right. And and I think that's the important thing to recognize of what role should bonds play in your portfolio? Because a lot of people think of bonds as a source of income. 
and their income in the sense that if you're retired and you're now living on your money, you can sell them when your stock portfolio is down and, and hopefully not incur any losses. But they're not income in the sense that they would have been 10, 20 plus years ago where the yields on these bonds were were much higher than they are, are today. Yeah. So back to the mortgage example that we started with, like um, my parents had, I remember one of their mortgages was in the teens, right? Back in the eighties. Um, now you can get, you know, a two and a half percent, um, which, which you might hear that and you might go, well, then I probably don't want to own bonds, but the number one reason to own bonds is safety. It's to right. be a, <clears throat> it's, it's to be a safety net for the portfolio so that you can sustain yourself in an ongoing way. Right. Right. And, and <clears throat> looking at that, if you're looking for income, then just consider this for a second, the 30 year treasury. So if you're going to lend money to the U S government for 30 years, the current yield on that is 1.62%. Yeah. The S&P 500, which is a group of 500 plus of the biggest stocks in the US, the dividend yield on that is greater than 1.62%. So not an apples to apples comparison by any means, but just bonds aren't providing the same income that they would have years ago when interest rates were in the teens or at least high single digits. Yeah. So that you're you're just not going to get that from bonds at at rates where they are today. Um and that's in large part maybe what you're seeing drive some stocks doing what they're doing is compared to bond yields, a dividend yield on a stock portfolio could in some ways pay more. So this isn't to well, say so do this or that. It's just I would give some two, perspective. Two things on that. One, uh, great that they're doing that the dividend yields higher on the S&P 500. That's great. Also, remember that the volatility, meaning how up and down the stock market's going to go, is in so much higher than the movement that you're going to see even on a 30-year treasury bond. So um, th just remember that each thing has its own role, right? So for the stock market, it's there for us to stay ahead of our purchasing power, basically to grow ahead of inflation, to keep growing so that we have something to draw upon as we keep uh, into our years in retirement. The bond portion is there to protect us. That's its number one position is to protect us. And so don't, I wouldn't worry so much about what the yield is on it or anything like that. I would worry more about, is this, is this actually here to, to hold its position and protect me? Yeah, absolutely. And the way that you look at that is the longer you go out on the curve, if you go out to 30 years, it makes it more volatile. If you go shorter on the curve for the bond curve, it makes it less volatile. So it's not going to move as much. And then from a credit quality perspective, the higher the credit quality, the less it is more than it's more than likely going to move less as well. So less volatile. Mm -hmm. So if you want to stay, you know, staying on the shorter end of the curve and staying on the, uh, the higher credit quality side of things can make a lot of sense. Um, staying in, in, you know, government bonds, high quality bonds, all those things can make a lot of sense. You have to decide what's right for you, but just know that the, the primary concern that I would look at this with is safety. Yeah. And so that's where going back to the listener's question, should it only be high quality corporate or should it be some tips, CMOs or anything else? That's exactly what Scott's referencing is what, what is the purpose of you owning bonds? Is it for absolute preservation of what you have, the, the maximum preservation? Then yeah, you're going to lean towards higher quality bonds. You're going to lean towards shorter term bonds because there's less risk associated with those. If you are trying to squeeze out more income or more yield or have other goals with it, then that's where you could factor in some of these other types of bonds. But understanding the purpose of your portfolio and what bonds play in it 
is step number one to determining what types of bonds are best for that. The only thing I want to end with is going back to that income component. It's it's so easy for us to want to chase yield. And what I mean by that is you go look around and you go, well, that one's offering me 3% versus this one's offering me 0.9. Well, I think I'll go choose the three. But you won't necessarily understand the inherent risks that are happening there for you to get that 3% versus the 0.9. Right. So you have to truly understand what you're what you're messing with before you make the choice. Yeah. So if the bond market is giving you 3% on one bond versus 0.9% on another, there's going to be a reason for that. So understand the reason. And it could be a reason that you're okay with, or it could be a reason that causes you to say, I'm just not willing to take that risk to get that extra 2.1%. Well, and that's where expertise can help too. That's where, you know, Uh, We are both advisors. That's where having an advisor can be helpful because what you may find is that it may make sense to to have less in bonds and slightly more in stocks to get the same allocation and, and desire that you want relative to having more risk in a bond portfolio. Right. So it's it's there's a lot of nuance here, but I hope this helps answer the question. Yeah. Well, that's great. Uh anything else you have, Scott? No. No. Well, thank you again for your question. We love answering them. So before you go, go to our website, realpersonalfinance.co, submit your question. Scott and I won't see in our future episode. And if you have not done so already, please leave us a review. We always love seeing new reviews come in. That is it. See y'all later. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.